0: hey everybody thanks for listening to dead ideas hey we have got our first patreon supporters supporting us thank you very much everybody so what we have owed to them is a toast to their honor and we actually have uh my weekly gaming group all here so we're all gonna toast to you guys and we are toasting to andre solo of roguepriest.net and steve from scottsdale arizona so we're gonna read a traditional irish toast and then we're all gonna do the irish toast which is slantia all right you guys ready yeah all right here we go may the road rise to meet you may the wind be always at your back may the sun shine warm upon your face and rains fall soft upon your fields and may ye be in heaven a half hour afore the devil knows you're dead slantia all right let's start the show Today's Dead Idea is the miasma theory of disease. The idea that disease, and in particular plague, comes from mutated air called miasma. Let's sit back, let's crack open a brew, and uh, let's talk about miasma on Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm BT Newberg, which you can call me Brandon. The music we just heard was composed by Rachel Westhoff. Woo! My lovely wife, whose sweet scent...
1: Uh, excuse me. Rachel Westhoff's sweet scent is not a measement. It does not cause the plague. However,
2: it is an exclusive to anybody who subscribes to the podcast. (laughs) She doesn't know yet.
1: We'll send you some in the post. Actually, it's an email attachment. (laughs) 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 It's a
0: virus, yes. Uh, The music we just heard was composed by Rachel Westhoff, my lovely wife, without whose sweet scent the air would mutate and we'd all die of plague.
2: This is observable.
0: Uh, Yeah, we can try it out. Well, let's not.
1: Uh, Okay, so with me today are my co-hosts for the day, Nick. I noticed that on a lovely summer day outside, you have us in the most interior room of your house in a room covered by blankets. (laughs) How paranoid have you gotten during this research? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, It's protecting me from the plague! It's actually for sound quality,
0: weird DIY, we're doing this, like, out of our apartment. Anyway, uh, so that's Nick and Anna!
2: Yeah, seriously, it looks like you built a podcasting fort. And you...
0: <laughs> Welcome to my fort. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, great to have you guys back on the show again. Everybody, <laughs> sure to check out our series on reanimated courses of ancient India for more of Nick and Anna. Um, you guys mango-free lately?
2: Well, been, How many yeah. days
0: since you last held a mango?
2: You know, you try to back away from that, but you can't go cold turkey. You you have to put the mango down. And
1: and all your friends around you are holding the mangoes? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty good at giving up on mangoes, but I've been holding a lot of potter women lately. Yeah, and
2: you know, it's put a strain on our marriage. So has your Um, mango habit. Well, you know what? I I only hold the mango because you take up with the potter women.
0: Okay, everybody at home, if you haven't heard these episodes, check it out. Because otherwise you probably have no idea what we're talking about. So go check out those episodes.
2: You won't notice you had a problem with mangoes until you listen to it. It's revelatory.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, for today, uh, so Nick and Anna, I just want to warn you, fair warning here, um, we're going to get into some deep shit here. And when I say that, I'm not being figurative. I figure I'm (laughs) being as literal as possible here. (sighs) Um, Listeners, this series is not for the squeamish. It's definitely not for listening around dinner time either. Uh, because, frankly, uh, towns in the late Renaissance, we're uh, full of shit, um, in the most literal sense of the word. I'll
2: put the mango down.
0: Yeah, yeah, so um, you've been <laughs> you've been warned. Okay, so here's how we're going to do this. This is going to be a two-episode series, as okay. usual. Um, this episode is part one, and we're going to talk about the idea, and then go deep into the culture and times of late Renaissance Tuscany. Deep? Um, deep, deep, deep in the shit, Yes. Um, And this is, of course, a place where people totally believed in this theory of uh, miasma. Um, But more importantly, we've got some cool records that give us a picture of these times, and that's a real draw for this time, too. Also interesting, there was a rash of plague denialism. What? Yes. What? So we'll get into that later. Uh, Are
2: we talking good old-fashioned bubonic plague here? Yes. Okay. Yep. Plague denialism. Yes. I'm intrigued.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so that's this episode. Next episode, part two, is going to be snippets of court cases from this time and place. Um, and they just got to give little snapshots of what it was like to sort of live and breathe in these times in such a plague-stricken part of Italy. Yeah. So it's well, going to be fun. the breathing wasn't great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you don't want to live and breathe in those times. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's get started, shall we? So miasma, the miasma theory of disease is what we're talking about. Remember, this is before germ theory. Um, so miasma is well. Uh, so okay. Ima- imagine like invisible fog. Um, it's like a fog that's like surrounding the city, and and it can kill you.
2: Okay. So again, with the paranoia, Brandon.
0: Yes. <laughs> you see all these blankets saying, around my room, right?
2: Invisible yeah.
0: fog. Let's all let's all put on our cone hats that will protect us from the fog. <laughs> um, so so yeah, or it. it in terms of modern threats, maybe we could think it's like smog, kind of. Um, although invisible, so maybe more like radon or something—something something so, invisible. A
2: huge invisible radioactive dragon. Uh, sure. Wrong smog. Okay,
0: never mind. <laughs> oh, Sorry. ah, smog. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. there we go. Um, so anyway, miasma is can like cause air. It causes disease, I'm sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah,
0: it's air. It's mutated air that can cause disease. Um. If you if you've ever played the game Dungeons and Dragons and cast the spell Cloud kill that's, yeah, that's like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that. You get to do visible in the visible in computer games, though. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah. Imagine an invisible version.
2: Oh, the NPCs yeah. hate you after that.
0: Or if you're not quite that nerdy, you can imagine like chemical warfare in the area era before gas masks. Um, although, actually, the plague doctor's thing um, actually was kind of intended like a gas mask. That's what like, I was assuming.
2: Yeah. Miasma.
0: <laughs> um. So anyway, the the point is, it's all around you. and You can't escape it. You can flee the region, but otherwise, like there's no um, getting away from it. And you don't even know it's there, of course, because it's invisible. So you can imagine the paranoia, right, that would develop.
1: Well, you know it's there when people when the corpses start piling up. <laughs> yeah, right. they're not corpses. There's no
0: plague. <laughs> yeah. See, denialism. Um, so anyway, miasma could infect anyone within this cloud of disease, um, and most terrifyingly, can infect you with the Black Death, right? The bubonic plague, right? And that's mainly what we're going to be concerned with today. Um, today we know that the bubonic plague is
1: it's transmitted... Yeah? Huh? Not by invisible magical clouds, but by n- tiny invisible animals. That's that's right.
0: That's right. And it actually wasn't too long after this that the first person suggested maybe that was the case, but it totally got shouted down. And then it was forgotten about till like the 19th century. So anyway, um, we know now that it, yeah, it's transmitted by the bacteria Yersinia pestis, um, which makes its way to humans via fleas, um, which often come on the back of like rodents and rats. And so, but this is before germ theory, right? So no one was thinking in terms of like what animals are carrying what or vectors, as they're called in the medical um, you know terminology. Um, rats, and that also rats were all over the place. So it's like that would be the last thing you think of because it's like there's there's rats even when there isn't plague so like why would you you know blame it wasn't a no duh is what i'm saying it wasn't like a why didn't they think of this kind of deal air also rather all over the place but, uh, that's true there's so anyway you're in
2: the room we're fine here it's a
0: good point so miasma was thought of as consisting of atoms of air which might be surprising that they actually were thinking in terms of atoms back then but they they actually did have the atomic theory all the way back since ancient greece it wasn't popular until much later um, but they, they had the idea of indivisible, smaller-than-the-eye-can-see units that, from which things were composed. And they thought miasma was atoms of air um, that were mutated into a dangerous form and then could infect you.
2: So you leave the air out too long and it goes...
0: Well, it's where you ranted. leave it out, exactly. I mean, swampy areas are kind of like the, the, the real danger. A uh, bunch of others, though. Uh, and the atoms they thought were sticky. They were sticky atoms. Um, so they, they, they noticed that like you would get infected more if you were around things that soaked up stuff, like um, wool, or uh, bags of grain, or carpets. Or So they had this idea that the atoms must be sticky, and they can stick in these things, and then when you inhale them or contact them, then, then they stick to you and you get infected that way. Um, but they weren't thinking in terms of, like, Living creatures like bacteria. It was like, mm.
2: atoms. So it's literally just sour atoms.
0: Sour, <laughs> sour atoms. Yeah. Uh, so we'd make a joke about an atomic fireball here too, maybe somewhere. Um, <laughs> uh, um, and speaking of the plague doctor costume, this is a good example of people actually not just being dumb at the time, like they're actually thinking, but they had this—they were thinking based on this sort of mistaken theory, right? So everybody. If you if you could if you've seen the images of the plague doctor, um you guys wanna describe it? Can you can you bring it to mind or
2: well usually there's very heavy robes, yep. uh usually some sort of glove or failing that there's a pointer stick so that you can gesticulate without having to touch a victim. Okay. Uh you're wearing a sort of mask that usually it's got glass coverlets over the eyes. So right. you can sort of look out of it. So it's a sort of modified gas mask. And there's usually sort of a long beak that looks like a bird beak that covers the face. And usually you'd have um, some sort of incense or some sort of burning thing at the end in the interior of the beak that would be sort of purifying the air or feeling Mm. that, just sort of filtering it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. The general look is sort of aviator, undertaker, birdman. Yes, <laughs> yes.
2: Which would also be a great name for an album.
1: So this this is this is a great moment,
0: right? Because this is kind of like the concept of this podcast. You look at that from the outside, from our perspective in the twenty first century, right? And it's like, what in the hell are they doing? Why do they think these bird masks are going to protect well, them? Right? It does, it
2: does look like a rudimentary gas mask. Yeah,
0: but at the time, yeah. it was based on this theory, right? They so the the uh, the aromatic um, herbs that you're talking about that are in the bird beak. Um, where they thought that fumigation um, would um, counteract the the infectiousness of the air, um, so it was basically a gas mask. The um, the eye coverlets also protected your eyes from mutated atoms from getting you know inside you. Um, also the robes you were talking about, um, I guess were made of a light linen, um, not not, so not not heavy, oh, so it would, so it wouldn't be sticky. And not only that, but they would cover it in this kind of paste, a waxy paste. To make it smooth so that nothing could stick to it so they were thinking the atoms won't be able to stick to it
2: so really they probably discouraged fleas a lot that too yeah
0: yeah but you know not knowing that that's what they were doing but yeah
2: yeah, yeah it
0: prob- i mean and actually yeah they i read something that it seemed at least to them to work um i don't know so so it was almost like confirmation that their theory of miasma was correct because they were actually getting protected um, from the disease.
2: I'd, I'd probably conclude if I was contemporary. I mean, it, it almost like it,
0: it seems like evidence, but it's just a yeah. So where does this miasma come from? <clears throat> well, uh, they thought a number of things could mutate these atoms like that, um, including inauspicious conjunctions of the stars, like you do. Yeah, because why not, right? Um, volcanic eruptions, mm-hmm. like they do, like you do, um, and the mixing of fresh and salt water. Kind of...
2: So they think that miasma forms directly above it?
1: I think from maybe the vapors rising from it or something. Because it's not a
0: stagnant
2: area, is
1: it? I'm partly wondering in an actual directly Italian context, Uh I know that there are malarial swamps in Rome, parts of southern Italy. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if there's a pretty observable correspondence between brackish stagnant water and places prone to disease It oh, was I a real thing in italy I, I definitely water think water thing so. make yeah. a fair amount of sense i definitely think so yeah. yeah and that was
0: something interesting i didn't know this that that italy had a big malaria problem i mm. just think of that as associated with a tropical more tropical places but yeah, yeah it's actually i think it comes from italian or maybe just latin mal, yeah, mal- air bad air- area air yeah bad yeah. air
1: yeah see back in the 19th in 19th century novels italy was still tropical Oh, for them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess so. If you
2: lived in Britain <laughs> or America, I I
1: learned it from a Henry James thing. No yeah. true readers, don't read Henry James. It's dull as But um <laughs> Instead, read uh Plague Tracks from the late Renaissance. Exactly. Always yeah, like...
2: read Plague Tracks. Never not but read yes. Plague
0: Tracks. So, so Plague the mutated air can come from all of those things that we were just talking about. Um, The seasons were also involved somehow, uh, affecting the accumulation in the body of the four humors, which was a big theory back then in medicine at the time, the four humors of the body. Um, Yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood, I think. And the idea was to have them in perfect balance, and if they get out of balance, that's when you get sick. Yeah, so the seasons can cause your body to overproduce certain ones, and then you get out of balance. And I might my understanding is that the result of that is you're more susceptible then to infection. So there's a thing with the seasons too. If you have an unseasonably hot season, you might it might be a plague time. Right.
2: I'm um, yeah. usually way too like, phlegmatic. That's
0: for sure. <laughs> um, but most of all, these mutated atoms come from the vapors rising from swampy waters, um, and also, and this is my favorite part, from pretty much any foul odor there is can can cause plague apparently (laughs) um anything generally stinky speaking of which which is evolutionarily reasonably adaptive i mean again yeah i mean there's a reason why we find i mean you know methane uh repulsive right because yeah we don't need to know the reason why it preserves our health in order for it to you know be uh selected through natural selection counterpoint
2: kimchi (laughs)
0: Get <laughs> foul orders. I don't know if you get the plague from. You. Okay, was, apologies to all Korean restaurants out there. You People, you won't get
1: plague if you go to a Korean restaurant. No, my point is,
2: it smells terrible, but it is wonderful beyond belief. All right, there you so go. So, <laughs> this is not a complete. So,
1: what we're starting to um, develop here is a theory of acquired miasma. Uh, is it, uh, miasma has acquired taste? Yeah, like, you know, certain kinds of sticky atoms cause the plague, uh-huh. other kinds of sticky atoms immediately seem repellent but are instead just the scent version of psychoactive mm-hmm. and they make you want to flee from the korean restaurant the first time and then you can't stop eating and korean food every winter for the it, rest of your life then condition. you're hooked exactly yeah. flee once and it could never happen go. to you yeah
0: <laughs> okay avoid um, the
1: kimchi pure victorian girls don't okay. go to rome <laughs> okay
0: instead instead go to late renaissance tuscany which is what we're going to talk about now um so um speaking of foul odors we have records of the Florentine public health magistries uh, which were recently set up at this time after all the plague hullaboo. um they had these public health boards um the hullaboo or hullabaloo? whatever I <laughs> I don't <think> know. <laughs> anyway the Florentine public health magistries started investigating um the conditions that obtained in the kind of smaller walled towns around Florence in the sort of countryside um, these, they called them, it, such a town was called a Costello. Mm-hmm. Um, not Albert, Elvis Costello or Albert, what's the other gun? Somebody in Costello. So, abbot in have... Costello. Oh, no, no, okay. A joke. So a Costello was a small walled town, bigger than a village but smaller than a city.
2: Did okay. they have like a monastery around?
0: Oh, probably. So there was an
2: abbot of Costello?
0: Oh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, that's why I brought you on the show. Sorry. Um, so they go into these countryside places and guess what they discovered full of miasma smells (laughs) uh smells yes smells um so some of these snippets that we get are just well they're just great (laughs) so um (laughs) listeners if there's any part of this episode that you might want to skip over it's probably going to be this but if you can make it through this couple of minutes here then you can make it through anything Uh, okay, so. um, And you won't get plague
2: Should we have like an overlay of buzzing flies? I feel like we should. (laughs) We can do that in
0: post. We can do it in post, maybe. Um, we don't have the budget for that. So, now for what they found. Um, this is from a certain Gerardo Meccini and Dr. Barziano. As the saying goes. As the saying goes. Um, inspecting the town of Bientina. And remember this town because it's going to come up big time later. Um, this is on June of 1612. They report <clears throat> in Bientina, None of the houses has a privy with its own underground cesspit, but they shit between the houses where there are... <laughs> yeah, I don't... who translated this? They actually used the word sh- I don't know. Okay. But they shit between the houses... Where there are gaps between the walls, and where the water from the roofs should carry the stuff away. But this does not happen, because the place is not on a slope.
2: This would be great poetry.
0: (laughs) And there are hundreds of turds to be removed, which, as well as stinking horribly, present an extremely disgusting sight to those who pass by in the street. And there are many houses in this place whose privies empty into certain horrible backyards and open courtyards, which look and smell so disgusting that this alone would be enough to bring on the plague when it is very hot. Hmm.
2: How's the dysentery rates in this place?
0: Uh, well, I'm guessing anything... That would make everything <laughs> worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. No, no data. Okay, so there was also animal filth. Um, around uh, in the cities, there was actually a statute uh, that every household was entitled to keep one pig for fattening um, in this castello, so in the town. Um, so you can imagine, like everybody having a pig around, the kind of you know smell and filth that that would create. Um, and we have records of administrators begging and pleading for this statute to be overlooked just this once, like in these <laughs> plague years, you know, and to have all the pigs removed. But I imagine that probably wouldn't have gone over well with the average rank and file. Um, so, but the thing is, believe it or not, there was actually there was actually money to be made in these shit piles. Believe it or not. So yes. It's
2: like for tanners or. No, no. Actually,
0: from the shit itself. So what? one thing. So is this where the night soil? Uh, maybe. Things come
1: from. Uh, what's yeah? Maybe I don't know what night soil is. Is that like? Uh... What you're thinking? <laughs> Spell it out for us. Um, human shit used as fertilizer. Yes, sort of, sort of like the milkman. People yeah, in oh. Enlightenment England would come along and deposit excrement on people's gardens every morning before yeah, they got it was out. It was basically that. Goes. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so one thing the poor would do
0: is they would shovel up this shit and trade it to the farmers as manure for okay. fertilizer. Yes, exactly. Um, so they actually wanted to keep a certain supply of, of poop around.
2: Is there? Any- reason why this place is so abundantly for lack of a better word shitty <laughs> well i mean they said there are no general cesspools
1: think about most of tuscany yeah. there aren't probably aren't many towns that aren't on a slope oh if your uh, whole culture pattern is you build towns right. on hills right because, and assume things will run down because that area is quite rugged yeah Okay. Yeah. and this is the town that's not on a hill but the only way you know how to build is to mm. assume
2: that poop will go down yeah
1: yeah These these are also probably just kind of representative too.
0: It's probably not just this town. It's probably lots of towns too. Certain horrible um, backyards that are shitty in different ways for different
1: reasons. Does this episode have a name yet? If it doesn't, I propose "Certain Horrible Backyards." Yeah. Certain horrible backyards. (laughs) Okay, nice. Um,
0: So there were even actually preferred varieties of this stuff, Um, (laughs) like Chinese
1: food after Chinese night. Uh, No. (laughs) <laughs> like
2: medium seg- segment, oh. of yeah, no. segment of tapeworm heavy segment of tapeworm oh my god
1: oh god that's so gross okay
0: <laughs> so you wanted the solid stuff you didn't want the watery stuff right hard to collect I imagine well that too yeah also the word gong farmer if you ever heard that um refers to this god. I actually heard that you've never heard of it no I had never heard it before either, until I was playing a role-playing game called Dungeon Crawl Classics, where you roll for your profession, and I got Gong Farmer, and I was like, what's that? I'm going to look it up, and it's literally a shit shoveler.
1: Wow. <laughs> that was a great campaign. <laughs> he was a shit shoveler. So, so like, uh, if you want your kids to be good producers of night soil, you feed them lots of beans. Yeah. Uh, mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the go- that's the. The goose
0: that laid the golden egg Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, sometimes it laid a golden or egg Or
0: fagioli, if you prefer <laughs> um, So, of course, yeah So, uh, But you first you had to collect enough of this to sell And so you had to let it dry And so it was hanging around all the time um, And we actually I love this one too We have records of nuns Complaining that the peasants are piling up And storing their shit too close to their convent <laughs> <laughs> And these nuns say And there's a quote here And say without showing any respect for this holy place, where we are prevented by the stench from celebrating the holy offices in church.
2: (laughs) You you probably do need to double down on the incense. Oh
0: my god. I just I just imagine these like really proper nuns just like trying their best to have a serious look on their face and just focus on their orations and stuff. But just being like, mm mm-hmm. mm See, I, on the un- other un- hand, was
1: un- just un- imagining un- a big un- rustic Italian farmhouse with, you know, braided salamis and garlic and shit logs hanging <laughs> from the ceiling. Shit no, logs. Pietro,
2: not that one.
1: No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let that one age for a bit longer.
2: You know it's good when it gets rind. Right.
0: <laughs> so even the palaces were not completely... Um, they were also subject to this. On June 27th, 1622... We have the complaint of the Podesta, which is like a chief magistrate of the town. Um, Different from Polenta. The Podesta of Barbarino del Mugello. So he says, in this town, there is a square next to the Podesta's palace. And in this square, there is a church. And there is a space between the said palace and the said (laughs) church.
2: And we know what goes on there.
0: About, (laughs) what? We know what goes in there. (laughs) I'm just going to pretend I don't know what you're talking Ah! about. Um, A space between these places, about 80 braccia, or I guess that's 48 meters wide. And on Saturdays, a large number of cattle are gathered there and deposit so much dung that it is impossible to leave the house. (laughs) The said space slopes towards the palace. (laughs) And there is a well in front of the said palace. (laughs) And the said filth spoils the water in the said well, and the palace is so horrible that it is impossible to live there. I protested, and last Saturday, I made them go down to the river where they used to go, and some of them said they wanted to see who was the cuckold who ordered them to go away, and they made them come back just to spite me. Yeah. So, late Renaissance Italy was, yeah, it was a shitty place, literally, yeah. Um, I really want to know what cool cuckold is now. Yeah. What? I really want to know what
1: cuckold is in oh, Italian yeah. now. Oh, yeah. Cuckoldy. I don't yeah. know.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, see, so add, add to this a whole bunch of other problems, like stagnant waters and whatnot, and uh, peasants would actually steep their linen in the stagnant waters sometimes, and complaints of that. There are also butcher shops, letting their kind of like bloody waste run into the alleys.
2: rooms so, yeah. everywhere.
0: Um, you can imagine the kind of um, wonderful smells we would have in can a little not? town. Can we not? But what's, of course, what's significant about all this, why we're going into it so much, is that according to this theory of miasma, stink kills. Like the stinking cloud uh, that can kill you, right? Uh, it mutates the air, creating miasma, and that leads to plague. Okay, so, yeah. All right, so now comes the time where, um, let's actually go like deep into the actual culture and time of the place. We Cat had. on our... using this deep metaphor. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> um. We've had a little fun kind of like see, looking at this idea from the outside. Now let's let's try to get the perspective
1: from the inside. Yeah. God, that was... <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. no. All right, I'm going to stop there. All right, here we go. This has been as much fun as shitting in a certain horrible backyard. Yes, <laughs> between
0: two houses.
1: Okay, we're going back in time
0: to 1630 CE. Um, about This is about a century after the Protestant Reformation begins, and also about a century after the series The Borgias, if you've ever seen that. I don't know.
2: I thought that only aired a few years ago.
0: <laughs> it was set. It was set about 100 <laughs> years before what we are talking about. Um, it's also the year of a great plague, which killed, in some cities, more than half of
1: the population. Everything's
2: deader with bubonic on it.
1: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Everything's deader with buboes, I think, has a snappier <laughs> reign. Yeah. So is this the same as the London plague year that, like, Defoe wrote about and things like that, the big famous one? I don't know when that was. I know it's yeah, probably 1600. Uh, I'm wondering was. if it was 1630. I don't know.
2: I, I don't know how it matches I, up. We should.
0: Yeah, I don't know. So you can look it up later, maybe, and put in the show notes. Um, The place is the Castello of Bientina, that was a little town that we heard of, lovely little place. Go there for a vacation someday. Um, In Tuscany, Italy. It's about 15 miles or so inland from the coast, about two-thirds of the way between Pisa and Florence. Um, And uh, the report of Dr. Cartagni um, describes this place. He says, As for the quality of the air of Bientina, it is of its nature bad... (laughs) Since it is near the lake from which bad vapors rise continuously. Uh, so apologies to the current modern tourism board of Bientina. Under we're the totally Tuscan not, sun. I'm sure it's lovely now, everybody. I'm sure it's lovely now. But apparently then, bad air. Um, and describing the people, he says they are almost all fishermen. Um, in the water all the time. And they always go to the lake at midnight, whatever the weather. So... Um also just a little orientation of the time. There's no actual Italy at this time and place. There's no such thing as Italy. Instead, you've got like a patchwork of city-states and duchies and things like that. Um so what you've got is um so to the west of the Italian peninsula is Spain. Um to the north you've got the Holy Roman Empire, which is currently embroiled in the Thirty Years' War, uh which started off as a fight between Protestants and um, Catholics, but then it kind of just became like power politics after a while. Our region that we're pretending that we're in, Tuscany, the Grand Duchy of Tuscany, is actually officially part of the Holy Roman Empire, but kind of a little bit autonomous. So I, I don't think the whole 30 years war has really affected us too much, but I know it's some at least. Well, we'd probably send a bunch of mercenaries. But... Yeah, probably.
2: Yeah. Um, bunch of smelly mercenaries.
0: To the, to the east is the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. And uh, then we've also got Venice uh, to the east of us, uh, which has totally dominated the Mediterranean in the last several centuries, but now it's kind of on the decline, partly because the Ottomans are encroaching and also because the Portuguese um, and lately the English and uh, the Dutch have been finding a way around the Horn of Africa to trade with the, with India and the Indies. And so they're, that's cutting in on the Venice's um, former near
1: monopoly they had on the spice trade. Bet you wish you didn't sack
2: Constantinople now.
1: Yeah.
0: Sorry.
1: <laughs> so we. I don't think it much mattered. Actually, would have mattered actually. It matters
0: to me. <laughs> it matters to me. Yeah. So we're gonna we're we're in the Grand Duchy of Tuscany, which is a liberal trade state. Um, the capital is Florence. The population right now in 1630 is 76,000 people. So about the size of
1: the city of Duluth, Minnesota, for any local listeners.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: Also on a lake. Something like that. I think Duluth is in the 70s now. I wonder how the air is. We can look it up.
2: Pestilential.
0: Pestilential (laughs) air. Necessarily. It's ruled by the famous Medici family. Still. Um, Yep. And the ruler just before this was actually the patron of Galileo Galilei, famous for defending um, Copernicus' idea that the earth moves round the sun and not the other way around. So that was the ruler just passed. Now it's Ferdinand II, um, but actually he's very young. And are currently, um, the rule is really under the domination of um, the Dowager Grand Duchess Christina and Mother Maria Madalena of Austria. So his grandmother and his mother are pr- really the ones taking care of the place right now. Um,
2: uh, are they affiliated with Habsburgs?
0: He, uh, our whole sort of... Um, alliances are affiliated with the Habsburgs right. and the Austria thing it's makes me Austria, think Habsburgs imagine, yes. Yes. it might have been a marriage deal probably <laughs> um, uh, Ferdinand II is obsessed with new technology barometers, thermometers telescopes and things like that pretty much all that stuff is new now also there was a recent outbreak of plague, a terrible one in Venice about 50 years ago um, and that killed a whole lot uh, so like I said we have these public health magistrate boards that are set up to kind of help us take care of this. And these actually prefigure a lot of the reforms that went on in 19th century England that were praised, but they were actually doing this already way back in Renaissance Italy. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So how about clothing? What kind of clothing are we wearing? I always like to get into this a little bit if we can. Uh, so late Renaissance, right? So this is the heyday of rough collars. You know, that kind of clown collar, you know? Uh, Seems like you could stick all kinds of <laughs> weird sticky atoms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah in that. Yeah. Oh. Yep, <coughs> yep, yep, yep. Well, very actually, late, are I they? read something that like this, this, these plagues actually might have led to a change in a change men's in fashion, fashion from to from, to, hmm. to less bulky clothing. Yeah, to be less um, trans to transmit the atoms yeah. less. Yeah. For women, corsets, of course. Yeah. um And. But in particular when I looked at like images of this it seemed like brocaded and doily looking dresses were particularly in fashion around this time. So.
2: Great. Yeah.
0: Yay. Um social classes, uh you've got peasants, you got your nobles, but you got a big merchant class. Banking is getting really big, especially in Genoa, which is not yeah, Medici's, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, and interestingly, there were different cures for the different classes of people. <laughs> um, I imagine, like, the good stuff was, was reserved for the, you know, the, and the expensive stuff was reserved for those who could pay for it. Um, and interestingly, one cure for the rich to cure an aposteem, which is like an abscess, mm-hmm. and one, one kind like of symptom beeper. that mm-hmm. the plague could be, mm-hmm. um, uh, was recommended by a Balinese doctor from Rome's most prestigious hospital around the time. He said you should get a young hen that has never given birth, um, pluck it to the tail, and then press its sexual organ ah! over the episteme and leave it there until it dies.
2: The aposteem or the, the the
0: hen? Oh, I don't know. That's what it said. That's just all it said. I'm assuming the hen... Yeah. How do you tell when an abscess has died? You
2: just wait for the chicken to die? Do so you the, help it along?
0: I don't know if the plucking kills it or what. Wow, that was really disturbing to me.
2: Why would you put his cloaca so on that, your...
0: So the idea is that it will draw out the poison from the apisteme.
2: Into mm-hmm. the chicken. Into the right.
1: chicken.
0: Through so the we'll sexual worm. So die more
1: quickly? I'm also wondering, I mean, to an extent it's probably that the nobles could afford the good stuff. Yeah. But I would imagine that the humoral composition and or temperament of different social classes would be oh. somewhat different. Oh, yes. good, point. good point.
0: Yes, so from their perspective,
1: it would make sense that you would give different
0: treatments. Yeah,
1: and like I'm guessing nobles would probably be somewhat sanguine, whereas merchants may be more phlegmatic.
0: Hmm, that makes sense. Who's choleric? Yeah, that's interesting. But a, a funny thing about this remedy here is um, another doctor totally disagreed about this. He was like, no, 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 pish posh, right? Um... He said, you shouldn't use the sexual organ, you should use the hen's anus.
2: That is the sexual organ! It's a cloaca!
0: (laughs) Explain explain this to people who don't know what a cloaca is, please, including these doctors, apparently.
2: Okay, a cloaca is a shared urogenital tract uh, that is basically common in pretty much anything that's not a mammal. Birds, reptiles, amphibians, fish, I mean, granted a few species do have internal penises, but I mean, basically it's an all-purpose hole with... With, yeah. with separate ducts it's further an old, up so in the tract.
0: There's just one hole back there.
2: Yeah, it's one yeah. hole. So it's, the
0: anus is the sexual organ, Is the anus.
2: It's yeah. a certain terrible backyard. <laughs> oh
1: I, I was God. just so about <laughs> to mention that. It's like the all-purpose <laughs> hole behind your house. Yeah. Yeah. The terrible hole. The te- yeah,
2: <laughs> That's even better, the terrible hole. Okay, we
0: gotta get moving on, but one thing I always like to cover, um, because history is inherently male biased, so I always like to try to find something on the role of women, um, and I found that this time, no surprise, tightly subjugated. Um, you could basically be a wife or a nun unless you wanted to be a prostitute. Um, and uh, Yay. peasant wives worked in the fields, merchant wives helped run businesses, and even noble wives typically were relegated to the feminine tasks of sewing, cooking, and entertaining. Um, unmarried women generally had to live with male relatives or else join a convent. Um, so not a whole lot of... Um, independent power there um generally you find after a black death you see an increase in um power among women because i mean if you think about it it's like okay so say your husband is the only tailor in town you've been helping him your husband dies you're the only one left who knows how to sew stuff you get to be the head of the business then, because who else is going to do it, right? Do so,
2: inheritance laws in Tuscany favor that? Or does it immediately revert to male relative? Or do you actually get to... Well, I don't know about that?
0: inheritance laws, but it's interesting the statutes that they put in place to kind of, like, as a recoil to that gain in power to try to keep them down. So um, they had to allow things like this to happen after the, after the plague. I would but, imagine, yeah. But, okay, so a 13, so is 1349, so this is a few centuries back, but... A 1349 guild statute said that all women of a guild member's family could work in the same profession as long as they neither employed anyone else, nor had any apprentices,
1: nor taught the skill to another person. This is incidentally one year after the main most infamous outbreak of the Black Death in Europe in 1348. Okay, good math, yeah. Okay, cool. Interesting. So, so basically, they were like, "Okay, we'll let you, that right. we'll let
0: you, you know, do this. You, we'll let you head up this business, but there's no way that you're going to turn this into into an institution where women get to just keep on running it. Like the next peep guy that is in line is going to be a dude." So it
2: was more like women temporarily taking over all the manufacturing roles in World War II, but as soon as the Kinda, yeah. When menfolk returned, it was like, hi, there's your kitchen.
0: Yeah, except in this case, it, nobody was coming back from the Black Death. So.
2: Well, I don't know. There could have been Jeevica, but...
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Reference back to our Reanimated Corpses episode. Check it, it out, everybody. This? Okay. Um, so, Kelby also cites the complaints of women, complaints about women acting as healers, but without studying or getting their medicines properly from the apothecary. But the interesting part is it's... I get the impression that they weren't even allowed to do either of those things. So basically they're being forced into using kind of home remedies and folk folk tr- traditions and stuff. Um, so of course you would see like a these women doctors doing something that you as a trained professional would look at it look askance at.
1: Good but god, at she time... put the mouth of the hen on that abscess. <laughs> yeah, Good right. Re- what could <laughs> like... she be what could the dumb broad
0: be thinking? <laughs> it's
2: the hysteria.
0: But but they're being forced into that, right? They're being pushed into that by society. So, all right, so interesting. But as I said, um, women currently dominate Florentine government, so there's that. Okay, so at this point, I'm going to give you guys a choice. We're going to choose a position within society, a perspective from which to look onto this 1630 Florentine society. And the choices that I'm going to give you, uh, you can choose between being a barber surgeon or a physician. Hmm. And then I'll take one, too, but I'm going to be a fumigator. I'm gonna take that one because I have the littlest least on that, so.
2: What's your feeling?
1: I was gonna let you pick.
2: Well Hmm. One of them I get to cut somebody and the other one I get to bleed somebody. <laughs> uh okay. physician.
0: Okay, so Anna's gonna be a physician. So Nick, you'll be a barber surgeon? I certainly will. Okay. So um alright, so the female of Bientina.
1: The, the Barber le- of Bientina. Yes. Very nice. Sounds like a novel. I was going to say it was the lesser-known Rossini opera. (laughs) Okay, so so I'm a fumigator,
0: um, uh, also called sulfur worker or perfumer. Um, And remember that stink was considered a miasma. And now, prophylactics at this time basically consisted of fumigation with incense, herbs, and aromatics. And it wasn't really until the 18th century that people had any notion that there was a difference between just covering up a scent and destroying it. So, fumigating was was destroying it, as far as they were concerned. So, it's like it's like Febreze was totally good <laughs> enough for them, right? Well, oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm the Febreze guy. Um, okay. Nick, you're the barber surgeon. So, you both cut hair and perform surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you have a lower status than Anna. You're like the I, working... No, I know. I, yeah. I, I'm aware. Yeah. You're like the working class version, right?
2: Sir and Paps Blue Ribbon while you're bleeding somebody.
0: Yeah, you're a blue-collar healer here. Um, uh, you often operate on soldiers, uh, because you know, 30 years war is on. And, uh, but you, being a guy who who is on the front lines of um, treating plague, you're the dude who knows about the symptoms and has first-hand experience. So, symptoms of the bubonic plague. First of all... Bubos. Bubos. Yes, which is, I I gather, what where bubonic plague comes from. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So a bubo is a smooth, uh, painful swelling, commonly in the groin, but also sometimes in
1: the armpits, upper thigh, or neck. Do you need a dead chicken? Do you need a chicken for each one? Yeah. If you had a whole bunch. I also I also read that bubo I
0: seems to have come from the Greek word for groin, bubo. Mm-hmm. Um, so bubonic plague is actually like the groin plague That's literally what it what it means Yeah. So. That would
2: also be a great name for an album.
0: Yeah, so you're getting you're getting crotch itch here um, Other symptoms are carbuncles and pustules and other kinds of swellings And I, I couldn't really figure out what's the difference between all these
2: Oh, we looked up carbuncle a few days ago
0: Yeah? What was it?
2: Um, I forgot okay, I'm looking then. at pictures of gallstones <laughs> okay. It's something kind of related Some sort of lesion that has a hard something in it
0: yeah, I think there's something a
2: hard component, and it yeah, and it, yeah it it also means jewel. Um, so Ugh. be careful if you're Google safe searching for this. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: okay. Um, also, chills, malaise, fever, and cramps, and of course, it kills within days, like with maybe four days, even somewhere around there. Yeah. So you're the guy who knows all about that. Um, the physician, Anna. Hi. Um, you are an academic.
2: Damn straight.
0: So you are the higher status healer in this uh-huh. group here.
2: Yeah, I have a license to put all those chickens on people. Yes,
0: exactly. You, it says, yeah, on your card. Um,
2: Take off your pants. I got to put a chicken on your cock. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>
0: um, so you don't perform perform surgery. It's beneath you. Mm-hmm. Um, you. Instead, you visit a patient as an observer or a consultant. Um, and you're deeply studious, and you. This is the Renaissance, right? So, humanism and the the early classics are big right now. So you're steeped in the classics of medicine, going all the way back to ancient Greece. Okay, and this theory of miasma um, is this is this is your bag right here. So, you've read Hippocrates, which is an ancient Greek healer from the fourth century B.C.E. Hippocratic oath. The Hippocratic oath, exactly. That's where that comes from. <clears throat> um, he was the first to write down about um, about this theory of, of disease uh, coming from, this miasma coming from air, um, such as in the treatise On the Winds. Um, you've read Galen from the late Roman Empire, second century CE. Um, he carried on the four humus theory from um, Hipp- Hippocrates and uh, also associated them with the four temperaments, like you were talking about, Nick. Um, contributed detailed anatomy based on the dissection of monkeys. Mainly Barbary macaques. Interesting. And also, I was where he got his monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Barbary, that would totally be in the Roman Empire. So. Yeah. And then more recently, an Italian doctor or physician named Fracastoro or Fracastoro? Probably Fracastoro. Hmm. Well, I'm guessing the frog um, probably means brother. It's probably a.
2: Oh, yeah, frog.
0: Maybe. It was written all as one word. Okay. But I don't know.
2: Hmm.
0: Um. As opposed to frond jelly or from the living. He was uh, 1476 to 1553 CE, so just recently dead, about um, 40 years ago. Um, he subscribed to atomism and proposed that epidemic diseases were caused by tiny particles that could be transmitted. Um, and he also coined the word fomase, which the plural is fomites, to describe items that transmit infection, like the wool, cloth, bags of grain, etc. So carriers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this word comes from the Italian for tinder. So they think of this as like tinder that could start a fire. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um incidentally he also wrote uh something called on syphilis or the French disease, which had just <laughs> recently become a big thing um in the New World or, or sorry, in the old world. Um and just a little aside because I found this hilarious. Always
2: time for syphilis. Um, syphilis had,
0: had many names. Um, Fracastoro called it the French disease, of course, but in French it was called the Neapolitan disease, <laughs> as in from Naples. And in Portuguese it was called the Castilian disease, as in from Castile in Spain. In India and Japan it was called the Portuguese disease. So it was always the other people's disease, not ours. Which makes sense for something sexually transmitted. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> right. Right.
2: They got no morals, they got no pants. <laughs>
1: So yeah. did Nietzsche catch it from his extraordinarily sticky mustache? Oh, <laughs> oh no. It's like a carpet. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Wait, where did he get syphilis from? Yeah, Like, the normal way?
2: <clears throat>
1: no, actually, he got the rare kind that he doesn't require that.
2: Oh.
1: No, so, probably never got laid. Oh. So this is what's bouncing around your head
0: as a physician. These theories. Well, that too. Okay, these theories about plague, that it comes from miasma, and you've got Hippocrates, you've got Galen, and you're obviously thinking in terms of Frecastro now. Um, but this isn't the only medical theory out there about plague. Um, some physicians all argued that actually fear was the real killer. Um, kind of like an anxiety, like you would get the plague and then sort of just implode due to the anxiety over
2: Fear is it. the mind killer.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, so Lorenzo Condivi a doctor at the Sorbonne, which is in France, um, but he was writing in Italian, actually. Um, he focused entirely on fear, painting a picture of just how despairing the plague could be. He says, If you pass any corner, you see the porters and boatmen carrying away the plague-stricken and healthy indifferently. There's the <laughs> Q Monty Python right there, right? Bring <laughs> so, out your dead. Yeah, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> yeah. Um both abducted and tied to the carts, destined for the Lazaretti. Lazaretti is like a quarantine station. mm mm-hmm. really? meant to Yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
2: like, if you get better, you basically walk up and leave. And if you don't...
0: Yeah. And I, I got the impression that not many people got better. <laughs> um, Poor Lazarus. So he calls it, actually, the Slaughterhouse. Ooh. And he says, where above its portal stands, leave all hope behind, ye who enter. So that's, that's where that comes from. Huh. Um, without any consolation, Actually, without that comes any... comes from Dante. That was a reference. Literally, oh, okay. over the portal. <laughs> Wait, but... was
2: Dante referencing a lazaretti? I mean, they would have had plague back in his day, too.
1: I don't know. Well, anyway. Um, without any yeah, Not access... unless he traveled through time. The Divine Comedy was written in the early 14th century and set in the year 1300 before the first main outbreak of the Black Death.
2: So you don't think they would have had, like, extensive lazaretti, then? Uh, I don't know. I just say we can't... rule we'll out time travel, but okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, So, anyway totally just a a place of despair, right? Um, And so you could see how this anxiety would would turn up. And to combat this anxiety, the physician Bucci at the University of Turin recommends, arm yourself with hope and confirmation in the faith of God. Seek out jolly company. Treat yourself to music, honest and pleasing games. Ban all lugubrious and troublesome thinking. Make every effort to stay happy. Dress in silk or in cloth with light and happy colors. Wear a ring with precious stones. Hang out sometimes with jesters. Give an ear to comedies, games, and pleasing stories. Read books, tell jokes, and delightful stories. I also want to know what Renaissance
1: Italian was for hang Hang out.
0: I know who translates this, right? I don't know. I like that he recommends... Uh, to combat the plague,
1: wear some bling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyone who knows their Poe knows that this doesn't work against the red death. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> yeah. But against the black death, I guess its efficacy is maybe a little more
2: Wow, this is a really hard time to be a goth, isn't it? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, you gotta be you gotta be more upbeat about this, no according to these physicians.
2: Music. Yeah. You have to go out and talk to people.
0: <laughs> yeah. So go get your nails done, get a pedicure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so fear killed, happiness saved. So basically it was the thing. There were even physicians who have a still different opinion, um, which has been referred to as therapeutic nihilism. Um, and these doctors were skeptical of all medicines and treatments of the time. They thought that, like, nothing was very effective. Um, which, maybe they'd been right, but, but it's like, why would you be a doctor then? And actually, there was a Dr. Maggiotti, who was made physician to the Grand Ducal Court and actually treated Galileo, Um, that he was one of these nihilists. And somebody asked, actually the Grand Duke Ferdinand asked him how he could accept money from patients if he thought the treatments were useless. (laughs) And so here's what he says. He says, Most serene highness, I take the money not from my services as a doctor, but as a guard to prevent some young man who believes everything he reads in books from coming along and stuffing something down the patients which kills them. (laughs) So he's like, oh yeah, I treat these patients. I would totally take their money, but it's so that I just give them the stuff that the, the medicine that's not going to kill them, so that at least they don't die.
2: It's kind of scrupulous <laughs> if you don't think about it. If you
0: don't think about it too hard, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that one. Um, but yeah, in, in some cases, these nihilists were actually right to be skeptical. There was a 19th century study of influenza treated with um, you know the kind of treatments that they would have gotten back then, like phlebotomy, which is the bloodletting. Um, purges and stuff, and it actually increased mortality by about two-thirds. Eat. The treatments did. Yeah, 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 so,
2: yeah. Clearly they should have just glued a chicken on
1: them. Yeah, definitely should have gone with the chicken. Always go with the chicken. Mm-hmm. Although it, there isn't an obvious abscess. I mean, what do you attach the cloaca to in the case of influenza?
2: Well, you know, you...
1: Learned physician. What? <laughs> Tell me this. <laughs> well,
2: obviously over the mouth. That's where all the coughing and wheezing is coming from. It's the quickest way of expressing it out of, out of the patient and into the chicken.
1: Then how do you tell us the patient with the stuffy nose breathe? Haven't you ever looked at a body?
2: <sighs> I've looked at plenty <laughs> of monkeys, thank you. Uh, okay. I've written a paper. I've glued a lot of
0: chickens to monkeys. So, the last thing we're going to do um, is we're going to confront a certain dilemma. And we're going to pretend that the health magistrate is coming to you guys, a barber surgeon and the physician, to get recommendations on what they should do because they are wondering whether or not they should declare a plague in the city yet. Okay, um, So we're going to say that there's some early signs um, in our fine little castello of Bientina. Um, several people have died, maybe like we'll say six by this point. Um, their bodies show the symptoms. You've definitely seen it, Nick. Mm-hmm. The buboes, the carbuncles, the pustules right? Um, They're almost all poor people that are dying at this point, and they're from a similar neighborhood in the town, okay? Now, the question is, the challenge for us here is to think not as 21st century people, but how we would have thought at the time, and decide whether we should declare plague in the city or not. And um, this is where the uh, plague denialism comes in. Mm. Um, So, there was a recent um, rash of this in the earlier plague in Venice, and they had all these... um, all these arguments about whether or not it, it should be considered plague, and the issue was over definitions. Sure. Really, what was plague? And the question was whether it should be defined by its symptoms, or by how many people it killed. And the idea was uh, the, the how many people it killed thing was. Remember, we're talking about like mutated air hanging over a city, right? So if the if the air is hanging over the whole city. What would you expect would happen in that city?
2: Probably you'd assume everybody would soon contract like plague, or at least show symptoms of it.
0: Yeah, would you expect only the poor, or only certain neighborhoods?
2: If it's all over, you would assume it's everywhere,
0: right? You would expect to be equal for all
1: classes, for all neighborhoods... And Uh, if it's not... I don't mean to be arguing like a highfalutin physician here. (laughs) But I'm assuming the poor might live in places closer to the swamps where the air doesn't circulate as much and is more stagnant and still... Good point, good point. Again, there might be a humoral imbalance Mm -hmm. where if the wealthy eat a better diet, they have um, higher levels of blood and therefore are not as susceptible to um, climactic and temperamental imbalances also if they live up on the hill. And that About is exactly town. the
0: sort of argument that that came up when they started getting a sense that wait this really is plague okay but so why is it just the poor people and why is it just certain areas um, they would come up with reasons like that they would be like well the poor are kind of malnourished and so they're more susceptible and things like that so <laughs> they try to save plague. their theory and shore it up in various ways to make it make sense um, which you know that's what that's what you would do of course you try to you're, you're grasping at straws for how can this be right um, yeah. But there's another. There's a second um, important uh, factor in whether or not we're going to accept or deny the plague. Um, if you were, let's say, a business person in um, late Renaissance Italy, and there's the possibility that plague is going to be declared in your city, what would you be afraid of?
2: Well, it's not good for business. It's not
0: good for business at all. So the first thing that happens when plague is declared is you get a quarantine on the city. Like nothing in or out, no goods in or out. Um, Basically, everybody tries to flee the city before the quarantine actually comes down. And so you get depopulation of the city, and you, you can actually get rioting. So yeah, there's a major, major economic incentive to not declare plague and to wait till the last
1: possible minute.
2: Especially if your wares could be considered uh, contaminated. Exactly. I'm yeah. not
1: even sure I'd want those meddling officials saying that our my town had bad air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. We, we should just destroy that. It's not the role of
1: government to meddle in our business. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Water's
2: always been right? this high. We live in a swamp.
0: <laughs> so yeah. So that's 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 the thing. Um, so what do you think? Should we declare a plague or not? Six people dead. All poor. All one neighborhood. Uh, barber surgeon. What do you say? I've seen the signs. I'd say yes. Okay. All right, physician. What do you say?
2: Well, I have a mask, and I've glued a lot of chickens to people. <laughs> Subsequently, I think that no, just six people is not indicative of plague. They are obviously all poor. They live where the bear is stagnant, as you say. Why well, mm-hmm. assume that there's a plague?
0: It may be pestilential fever, but not plague.
2: We'd all have plague.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense, and that's that's exactly what they what they the kind of thing they would say.
2: I mean, if the air was circulating it's worse, it. we'd all have plague. Obviously, it's circulating fine
0: up right. here. Yeah, so. yeah. So, of course, it turns out that it is plague. And uh, and then the quarantine comes down, and it comes down hard. Um, the plague only lasts for about a year, um, but it carries off about 150,000 people. Um, in China? No, no, in the whole <laughs> yeah. region. The whole region of Tuscany. Uh, actually, in all of northern Italy entirely. Um, which is roughly the entire population of the city of Oxford today or Tallahassee, Florida or two Duluths. Oh yeah, I looked that up. Yeah, so you were right about the population of Duluth. Um, uh, so we actually get away somewhat... not too bad. Florence and its region loses about 12% of its population. Um, Venice loses 33%. Oh well,
1: everyone knows what the air like there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Milan loses 46%, and Verona, which I think is that's where Romeo and Juliet was set. Yep. Yeah,
1: Fair Verona. Verona loses 61% of its population from this play. So that's why the earlier Shakespeare play was Two Gentlemen of Verona. They were the only two. <laughs> the only two left. <laughs> I say, Sarah. <sir. laughs> and and, and,
0: and, and they still managed to be in feuding families. Yeah. The Capulets and, uh, and uh, what's the other one? Montagues. 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 That's a different and, play. and Juliet, yeah. yeah. That's a different play. Yeah, Two uh, Gentlemen of Verona* is a different one. Oh, play. I see. Okay, okay. So we're gonna have to wrap this up here, guys. But um, things are not all completely bleak for us. Um,
2: well, obviously, we only lost like what twelve percent.
1: Well, yeah. yeah does, okay. that, does that mean it means we wasn't played at all? The play *Kit so- Verona*. We just had pestilence. <laughs> yeah, you get
0: to be right. I, of course, I get to. <laughs> I have a bird mask. <laughs> so yeah, so it 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 could have been much worse for us, right? <laughs> um, but above and beyond that. Uh, when a people goes through a crisis like this, there's often this kind of sense of deep bonding that happens in a community. Um, I think of it kind of like uh, uh, if you remember the movie with uh, Keanu Reeves, Speed, <laughs> like where they have that <laughs> bus, <laughs> and then he he and the girl like they just Stand fall in love. love after this really exciting, terrifying adventure. But it's like after, you know that relationship's not going to last, right? But you bond because you. Go through this crisis together. But then know, lots speed of Armi- too, yeah, but lots of is- army
1: buddies say they're bonded for life. I mean, uh, maybe yeah. I don't
0: know. I
2: mean, if Gary Busey's trying to kill you, I mean, wait, was it Gary Busey?
1: I don't know. <laughs>
0: so anyway, um yeah. So that that that's that's the kind of thing that could happen. We could imagine that us coming out of this plague in our fair town of Bantina, being um like, "Hey, we survived. We endured it. You know, like good for." Good Suck for us. it, Venice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, also, the survivors of the plague tended to make out rather well economically, as we were mentioning
1: before.
2: I thought that was going somewhere else. Including... Sorry, the romance angle. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Tended to make out. Oh, right. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Whether or not from Star-Crossed Lovers or no, (laughs) or Volcano ash Lovers, or Swampy Lovers. Or Swampy Lovers.
2: Ew. I don't want to listen to that album.
1: Yeah. So, a sudden demand
0: in labor... was a play. Because all your workers have died off, right? Tends to lead to a rise in wages. And this is often a time in in history where, you know, things get better for a while. Uh, Yeah. So that is the end of the 1630 plague in late Renaissance Italy. So the last thing we'll talk about is, like, how did this dead idea go extinct? Uh, 17th century Italy actually, as I mentioned before, actually came pretty close, almost to getting on the way to finding out the right... Path to what actually causes disease Um, because um, very soon a German Jesuit scholar uh, named Athanasius Kirchner in 1658, so that's just 28 years after we've been talking about, made the first proposal of infection by a living, self multiplying organism specific to the disease. Uh, unfortunately, his opponents um, were just as vehement in their arguing, and it was hard to prove anything before you have like microscopes to see what's you know really floating around down there. Um, so he basically got shouted down, and disease theory had to wait till the 19th century with Louis Pasteur and many others to put forward a viable theory of, of germs. And even still, there were fierce debates in favor of uh, miasma in 19th century England. Um, so that was still going on all the way until then. It wasn't until 1876 when Robert Koch proved that the bacterium bacillus anthraxis caused anthrax that people really started saying, like, okay, yeah, it's germs. But it wasn't just a goofy idea that held back medicine. It actually um, led to a lot of social improvements. So the miasma theory of disease um, in 17th century Italy led to the, some of the first public health magistries, like we've mm-hmm. been talking about, um, which got the bright idea that government should actually be involved in um, preventing plague and, and community welfare. And bad air. And, and yeah, preventing bad air, cleaning up the shit. Stop in the, doing yeah. that between
2: the buildings. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And, and that's pretty much what happened then later in 19th century England um, with the celebrated um, health reforms that happened then. So miasma theory is actually um, sort of something of an unsung hero, uh, in medical history. Strangely, in a way, it actually did help to promote public
1: health, despite being completely <laughs> wrong theory. Well, I mean, well also... it's not so much a wrong theory, even, as it is just an absent theory. Mm, what do you mean by absent? So you already have tiny particles uh-huh. coming from contagions uh-huh. that cause disease. Uh-huh. There are tiny microscopic things.
0: So it's, it's like a step, It's a step toward
1: yeah it's you, just, you don't understand that the things are alive and multiplying, right. but other than that largely the basics are there, otherwise all the reforms wouldn't have helped i mean yeah yeah,
2: yeah they really do the yeah.
1: essence is
0: yeah except it, it's lacking refinement, yeah
1: but the fundamentals things. the fundamentals
0: are there, yeah, so you can say that sure,
1: also to be fair as someone who occasionally makes beer in his kitchen <laughs> if you read all of the um official how to's uh-huh you slather every single possible surface with sanitizing uh-huh. solution because you don't know there's probably bad things hanging around in your air that will spoil your beer. Sure, you sure don't know that the ve- that any vectors come from rats. You don't know where your bad things are. Mm-hmm. What you do is clean everything. Yeah, and yep,
0: and there you go. Make things
1: as clean and sterile as possible in certain climactic conditions. I mean, when you don't have the know how or the microscopes to pinpoint organisms even if sure. you know they're there the technique is exactly the same
0: yeah that's true
1: and effective yeah yeah so and essentially well, what you're thinking is my kitchen has bad air how do i get rid of it yeah
2: and the again the plague doctor get up is it's functionally again um it's it's a, it's a sterile suit and and you know it it, it was made to basically work against the transmission of bad air, mm-hmm. but it, it also basically does the same thing as, as you would if you were trying to avoid coming in contact with biohazard stuff. Yeah, I, again, the,
0: yeah it's a bio suit.
2: Yeah, the terminology, there, there's still a, basically a link uh, in the way of thinking and dealing with the, with the problem, even if you don't exactly understand the mode of transmission. Yeah. But you sort of have, you're onto it. Yeah, you've got your hazmat suit. Yeah, yeah. tiny yeah. particles caused by fleas instead of air but you understand that you need to be
0: yeah secluded from it so miasma theory of disease yeah yay yay, yay. yay, for,
2: <laughs> yay for you miasma theory yes. of disease <laughs>
0: yes well that's it for this episode folks thanks nick and anna for being on the show again Woo. everybody uh be sure to join us next time for part two when we explore some court trial cases from the year 1630 which give us a delightful little uh peek into um, the life and times of this plague year in late Renaissance Italy. Is there more crap? Um, We'll see. We'll see. Um, Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Check us out online at deadideas.net We're also on Facebook, Twitter,
1: SoundCloud uh, all kinds of places. Also, um, if any techies out there know how to make a Smell-O-Vision podcast, Why yeah. did this episode ever need it, so hit yeah, us up. Right. Yeah, come on, we're, we're right. in
2: tech capital, we will yeah.
1: we'll, we'll pay you, we'll get you on board. We're paying? Um,
0: <laughs> even I don't get paid. <laughs> uh, you can also go to the old-fashioned route and write to us by email, uh, deadideaspodcast at gmail.com. Do you have a dead idea you'd like us to explore? Because we want to hear about it. Alright, thanks everybody. I'm B.T. Newberg and this is Dead Ideas. We take passenger pigeons as well if you can find one. Hey, thanks for listening everybody. We want to remind you once again about our special portrait promo. And right now we're taking any kind of review anywhere. We've opened it up, not just iTunes, but if you review us on Stitcher, Facebook, wherever. If you just review us, we'll draw you in the historical time period and culture of your choosing. And we just posted a drawing of Carol Westhoff as a Renaissance German vegetable seller. And we've got ones coming up for Stephanie Westhoff and Michael Tamayo from Spain. So watch for those in the near future. Also, there's a review from somebody going by IKJBJJ. So if that's you and you review this on iTunes, send us an email with your choice of time and culture and a photo that we can work from, because we don't have any other way of contacting you, so send us that email, because we want to draw that portrait for you, IKJBJJ. <laughs> and everybody else, your portrait could be next. All right, also, big shout-out and a thank you to the Lesser Bonaparts for plugging us in their latest episode uh, in part one of their series on the Elamites that's coming out right now. There was a funny internet glitch right in the middle of that plug. So you basically hear, thanks to Dead Ideas, and then, oh, fuck, <laughs> is what you hear. It was pretty funny. But they're going to post our ad on their next episode, too. So check out both of those things. And seriously, where else are you going to hear about the Elamites? So check out the lesser Boda parts. All right. See you next week, everybody. Thanks for listening.